You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And I'm not sick anymore. <laughs> I have a we normal hope. Fingers voice. Crossed, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that residual sniffles, but I don't sound like a curmudgeon anymore. So that's exciting. Kim's happy to be here. I'm present. <laughs> what are we talking about this week, Kim? Yeah, so this week we're doing a little um, abandoned hope, all ye, here, ye who enter here, gates of hell, yep. maybe, sort of, entrances to scares. Uh, we're talking about the Sentinel from 1977. Yeah, say uh, satanic movies. What a what a great way to kick off the new year. Yeah, I mean, you we're know, a, a new week, year, new you. Right. Well, we're also <laughs> a week into the new year. This is not the first episode we put out this year, and it's around that time that that devil on your shoulders telling you, "Hey, man, maybe stop going to the gym. Hey, let's start eating snacks again. We like donuts still. Maybe, uh, maybe hail have, Satan and open the gates of hell. We have cats here. We have cats here, and they have birthday parties. Truly." <laughs> <laughs> the number one evil animal. Yeah, we're talking about The Sentinel from 1977, directed by Michael Winner, who is not really a name that you know for horror movies, but has directed a lot of Charles Bronson movies. Have you ever seen the Death Wish movies? That's Michael Winner, baby. Oh, wow. Big New York filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I love that in this movie, maybe this is good thing number one. Okay, three good things about The Sentinel, if you haven't seen it or you've been meaning to revisit it. Good thing number one. The portal to hell is in Manhattan. Don't you always love that? It's never like the cradle of life. It's never back in Iran or, or Iraq or anywhere where it might possibly actually Honestly, be. No, though, I always buy it when it's in New York. I always buy it. And it's always like there's lawyers involved. It just makes sense. That's okay. I don't. Mm. <laughs> Why? It's like one of the youngest countries in the world. Shush, 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 shush. You're like, no, this makes sense. The there's, devil, no, there's no green space. <laughs> <laughs> the devil is hip to the jive. He's updating for the times. Uh-huh. He can move his portal to hell. Okay. Uh, what's good thing number two, then? Uh, well, I guess I already said cat birthday party, so I can't use There is a cat wearing a birthday <laughs> hat who gets his own cake. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. Uh, you know what I'm going to go with? I'm going to say that this is a really great mystery. This was a first-time watch for both of us, mm-hmm. and I was just enthralled from beginning to end. We were actually not going to do this on the podcast. We were watching this for fun, and we just had such a ball with it. Like, it is such a interesting movie that... We just had to talk about it. So well, I would say, mystery, bam. I would. <laughs> it's not bad. That's good. Uh, I would like I would like to divulge that there was a longer history leading toward this podcast episode. Kim originally wanted to pair it with End of Days. It was just two movies I wanted to watch, and I was like, yeah. let's do those together. And I threw her a bone. I'm like, you know what? We'll keep End of Days on the calendar. Let me find a better movie to pair that with. And we still wound up covering The Sentinel. Yeah, we had a great time. <laughs> Also, uh, like last week's episode, this movie has Christopher Walken in it, which is always a blast. Very briefly. Yeah, there's a lot of cameos in this There's a lot of very briefly's in this. But good thing number three, Nightmare 
scare sequences. Now, I'm not saying that these scare sequences are nightmares, but much like you would see in an Italian horror movie, or The Shining, for that matter, the scare sequences feel as though you are watching someone's recorded nightmare. There's just something not right about them. It's just like a one step left from reality, but it all works in a way that you feel in your bones. The scares are incredibly effective. Yeah, there's one in the middle that we'll talk about, and it fucked me up. Those are three good things from two people who have just seen this movie for the very first time. Uh, Highly recommend checking this one out if you can get your hands on a copy of it. And kind of the less you know, the better. I know we've kind of spoiled a little bit with the theme and (laughs) everything. Good luck with the next 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's from fucking 1977. If you haven't watched it now, you were born after that like us. It's one of the nicer tree-lined blocks in New York, and only 20 minutes from the center of town. Oh, and just around the corner, there's a supermarket and the cleaners. That's Father Harron in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? (laughs) There is danger everywhere. There is evil, evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Halloran, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorin becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Halloran dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. I call me! A horror and confusion expedite our glory! Is the Sentinel the only thing that stands between the mortal world and the torment of hell? Between happiness and horror? She went to a party with eight dead murderers. Eli Wallach. Doesn't everybody? Have a hat to a noisemaker. Sylvia Miles. Nobody has lived in that building for three years. Ava Gardner. Martin Balsam. Jose Ferrer. Arthur Kennedy. There is danger. Swear to God, I'll kill you! Chris Sarandon. I'll kill you! Burgess Meredith. Welcome home. And Christina Raines. The Sentinel. The most frightening motion picture experience of your life. And the most revealing. Turn around. Look behind you. Be one with us. No! There is evil everywhere. And the Sentinel is the only hope. The Sentinel. The Sentinel is currently sitting at a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb, 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Now, let's take a quick look. Wow, okay, so the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, not much better. They gave it a 44%. Hmm. Couldn't even get that Chris Sarandon bump. 
He's got a great mustache in this. I'm surprised that wasn't one of your good things. I thought I really thought it was going to be. You're like, Chris Sarandon is obsessed with magic for no reason and also has a mustache. Oh, I didn't even think of doing the Houdini posters. But it doesn't... The it real doesn't, star of the movie was the it, Houdini posters in his apartment. I was. I thought it was going to be integral to the plot. I was like, this whole thing's going to be a magic trick. Well, there's even a moment at the beginning where Chris Sarandon is bringing his girlfriend a, a glass of water and he's got a napkin over top of it like it's a mystery. And he's or like like it's a magic trick, and he like reveals the napkin. There's nothing surprising about it, but you were implying that he likes magic. There's also a magician at the party that she goes to that she shouldn't go to. Yeah, there's just magic in the air. We expected a rug pull at the end of the movie. I guess the rug pull is like surprise. It's the gates of hell. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> that's a rug pull, all right. You find a nice, uh, affordable, uh, furnished apartment in Manhattan, and then, oh, of course, surprise, surprise, <laughs> the prestige is that it's the gates of hell. So I think this kind of also relates back to why maybe the ratings were a little mixed. Mm-hmm. In the same sense that, you know, watching this film, you're very much like, okay, is this Rosemary's Baby? That film, not overshadows, but it is the shadow in which this film exists in. So the entire time, you are very suspicious of Michael, of Chris Sarandon. Let's not forget that his ex-wife died, maybe mysteriously. While he was having an affair with our lead character, Allison. Uh Yes. Which prompted her to... Well, the backstory of this is a little convoluted. Which prompted her to try to attempt suicide for the second time. So we are suspecting him most of the movie. And you can't really help it because there is that Rosemary's Baby-esque ending in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so you are suspicious of him. And when he is into magic... You're assuming he's involved. And I think that's to this movie's benefit because all of the things that are happening are very confusing because they don't fit that mold in your head. Like, that's the storyline you kind of think we're going on. And when, you know, there's cool, weird, creepy neighbors who turn out to not actually live in the apartment and things like that, you're like, this doesn't go with my... How did how did Michael do this? <laughs> I for a half a second there, I was about to interrupt you and say like, what about her neighbors is creepy? Uh, they're just cool, kooky, weird people. Uh, I didn't think they were necessarily creepy. I did forget that within thirty seconds of meeting one of her neighbors, they start masturbating in front of fucking her. Beverly D'Angelo, <laughs> our fucking Griswold mother. <laughs> yeah, she's left alone with uh, she's left alone with Allison, and then just immediately starts touching her. Herself, and Allison doesn't know what to do. She's just like, I'm just gonna look over here for a minute while you finish. Uh, yeah, no, her neighbors are crazy. They do invite her. They, they outside of that, they seem okay. They're I mean, just kooky. They're very kooky. <laughs> Man, don't you wish, though, that when you move into an apartment, not that somebody's gonna do that, but that you hope that your neighbors are at least a little eccentric. Yeah, like I want a Burgess Meredith upstairs. Right, a Burgess Meredith with so many animals. So his fucking little bird that was on his shoulder the entire time when he goes to visit her. First of all, he visits her and he's very eccentric. Well, he barges like, into her apartment He invites himself in. He brings his cat and his bird. He leaves a photo of himself. He brings a photo <laughs> of himself. Which, that is the real magic trick of the movie because we don't see him walk in carrying it. It's just at some point, sleight of hand. He just leaves it and you don't even notice. Yeah, he's <laughs> to gotta... Allison. Love uh, Charles 
Chazen. Charles Chazen. What a name. Yeah. That's a good but name. But that bird was well acted. That was, was great. a fucking well-behaved bird. Teeny little budgie on his shoulder Yeah, the I time. mean, the cat does eat it later in a really grotesque fashion, and you're like, wait, isn't that bird a sinner? Doesn't he, he deserve to live in hell, too? But evil, you know? Mm. Is it too much to spoil? Like, I do want to talk about the Beverly D'Angelo thing in relation to the end of the movie. Should I just wait? Nah. Okay, so... We've already said gates of hell. We, okay, gates of hell, right? Now, the other thing that we haven't mentioned, so she meets a whole bunch of crazy neighbors. They go to a cat birthday party. It's a, it's great. Everybody had a great time. It's wonderful. But the only neighbor she has not met so far is the man upstairs in like the penthouse apartment who's just looking out ominously through the window at the New York City streets. And we know he's a priest. He's Father Halloran. Allegedly, the building is owned by the church, Mm -hmm. so it's assumed that, you know, he's being kept by the church. Like, he's a recluse. We don't ever see him moving. We don't ever see him leaving the window. So we assume that, like, the church is taking care of him. Yeah, he's, they're just waiting for him to get promoted to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) He's just waiting at his retirement. He's got those classic, solid, white eyes, either like he's... Those Fulci eyeballs. Yeah, either he's blind or he's seen some shit. Uh, And yeah, he's just this presence that exists at the top of this building. Obviously, it's scored for horror. Like, we cut to him every once in a while, and we're like, what the fuck's up with that guy? He's so spooky. Yeah, we don't really know much about it. Played by John Carradine, one of a thousand, like we mentioned, one of a thousand cameos in this movie. We find out at the end of the movie... And, like, we've got plenty to talk about, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, like, it's the theme of the episode, is the gates of hell. We find out later that the apartment building is sitting atop the gates of hell, much like the entrance to hell in Dante's Inferno. There's literally- It's an apartment? (laughs) Yes. It's in in Manhattan. That that, that incredible poem, that epic written in, like, the 1600s, set- Left on 42nd Street, right on- It's a prime location. They got nice, uh, they got nice vines crawling up the sides of the bricks. It's idyllic. I mean, rent was reasonable, four hundred bucks a month. Well, they <laughs> and it was furnished. Rent went down a hundred bucks, so she was like, five hundred. I don't know. Like, how about four? <laughs> which uh, adjusted adjusted for inflation, we figured out is two thousand dollars. That's the one thing this movie doesn't touch on. I know you're still like halfway through another story, so I'm gonna let you get back to it. Uh-huh. But Ava Gardner, who is uh, the realtor, another cameo. We don't know how she relates to anything. Not necessarily. She's never revealed. She's just like an evil wink at the end. She's She's obviously working for... The church? Or the devil? Oh, she's got to be working for the devil. That makes total sense. She's a real estate agent in New York. No, but but why would the devil want... Maybe, ugh, I don't okay, know. Okay, okay, so no, I, I, I know what you're saying, and uh, I can get back to that in, in uh, half a second here. So the apartment building is on, a to- is on top of the gates of hell. Halloran is there, essentially, to protect the gates of hell. He is the stop. sentinel. He is the sentinel. He is the guardian. He is the one person who's there to... Holding the door closed. Exactly. He's... I called him the canary in the coal mine, and maybe that was insensitive. (laughs) Because, like, if anything goes wrong in that apartment building, I assume the church is going to know based on that biblical sentinel figure. It's it's fine. Don't worry. It's not the last insensitive thing about this movie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's his role, okay? Um, We find out later that the entire apartment building, except for Father Halloran, is empty. 
Yeah, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. So all of the neighbors that she's meeting are actually demons. They're fucking serial killers. Yeah, every single one of them we find out later. Like when she mentions names to the police. Um, oh, yeah, because she goes crazy, stabs her dead dad, <laughs> well, you, uh, <laughs> ends up in the hospital. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but I'm just trying to get us there. <laughs> so she tells people, she tells the cops all about the people that she met at the party, the other residents of the building. When they look the names up, they find out that they're all dead. They've got uh, rap sheets for everybody. They're all multiple murderers, serial killers. They're all bad people. Their goal, because they know that she will become the new sentinel, that's why the church has given her such an affordable apartment in this building. Uh, They're still making her pay, though. (laughs) Still making her pay. I love that, though. You gotta tithe. (laughs) You have to live over the gates of hell, but you're paying. (laughs) I mean, it's reasonable, but it's not free. (laughs) Anyway, so they're there to try and get her to commit suicide that I before found, the end of the before b- before she's installed as the new sentinel. That I found was a little bit of a stretch because they don't really try to get her to commit suicide until the very end. I, th- that's what I'm getting at. So their job is drive this woman crazy, make her kill herself, and the first thing they do is like, I'm gonna jerk off in front of her. <laughs> like that's that's gonna put her over the you edge. You know what? I'll invite her to a cat's birthday party. <laughs> yeah, like that's really gonna scramble her brain. Maybe the whole point was at first they were trying to show her that like hell ain't so bad. Like we have cake here. Oh, come to the dark side. We have cats. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. There's party hats. Because clearly they're uh, they're. I mean, like the most effective moment is when they have her dead father attack her. Her father, who's recently dead, and she's got some weird. I'm going to say daddy issues. Okay. So it's revealed in, is it nightmares before the sequence that she walked in as a girl, she walked in on her dad, I'm assuming cheating on her mom in like this kind of grotesque sexual act involving a lot of food. Uh, It was weird. And it's basically haunted her. Mm -hmm. And I guess she feels guilt maybe because she... It ruined her relationship with her father. I don't. I don't know. It's like there's there's a lot of heaviness there, and we aren't fully given all the information. Yeah, we find that out when she goes back home to her dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. She's at the house and she's grief stricken. She's in shock, so they don't drag her out to the funeral. She stays in the house while she's walking around. She's sort of revisiting memories, um, and yeah, the core memory that she fun- remembers is is walking in on her dad. Cheating on her mom, eating cake. You know, a a kick ahead of its time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He attacks her, he smacks her. He's naked at the time, very clearly. And then she runs off and immediately slashes her wrists in the bathroom. That's her first suicide attempt. Uh, So that's the memory that we're revisiting, which is integral to the plot, apparently, because the sentinel that gets installed in this building to watch over the gates of hell has to be a person who has attempted suicide. We learn uh, after Chris Sarandon breaks into like the archdiocese office and is going through their files that Halloran was the father. Halloran was previously under a different name. Was a man who tried to commit suicide, then came to the church, changed his name. The other guy just mysteriously disappeared. Uh, you know, he replaced another person who replaced another person. It's not always a man; it's sometimes a nun that they're putting in. Just somebody from the church. Who's watching over the gates of hell. I love the fact that it's somebody who is a failed suicide attempt because there's this, I don't know, it's it's very interesting because that's that's like a carnal sin. That's like something that's unforgivable. Yeah, exactly. Killing yourself. Yeah. And the fact that 
because they failed, they can be redeemed. Like, they can ask for forgiveness. Well, but, I don't think according to the church you can. But they they got themselves so close to hell. Like, they brought themselves to the gates already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they have the potential to become the guardian. It's like, to be able to stand at the precipice, you have to have one foot in the door. Right. It's like, what makes Blade such a great vampire hunter is that he's half vampire. Yeah. That isn't immediately what you thought of. <laughs> I mean, I think mine was a little more poetic. Fuck, sure. we gotta cover Blade on the podcast, man. <laughs> it's such a good movie. But no, it's very Constine, Constantine-esque, I think, is maybe the first... Also, lots of cats. First thing is what I thought of when we watched this, and I assume that's what you grabbed onto as well, because like the whole having committed suicide is like such a hard, key part of that movie. Um, I don't know, and like maybe the church is a little different now. The church is always getting with the times, <laughs> you know. That's why, oh, that's what the church is known for. <laughs> but I think they're a little maybe softer on the, on on asking for forgiveness for a, attempted suicides. I think as long as sure. you're not dead, you can get redemption, right? No, Isn't that so the like rule? that's that's the that's the integral part at the end of the movie, and like that's the incentive to become the sentinel because oh. you have to give up your entire life. You disappear as a person. So like her name is Allison. She's going to evaporate. They're going to, you know, disappear her and she's going to become a completely different person under a different name. Sister Teresa. Sister Teresa. And it's all because she'll have the chance for forgiveness and redemption. They don't promise it. <laughs> You, you know, and like that's why Halloran is there because he's also is that just maybe a, is that a Catholic there. thing? Oh that, yeah, like the no forgiveness never thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds very Catholic to me. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, I mean the church has maybe changed a little bit. I didn't grow up Catholic. I'm not like, super into Catholicism, so I'm sure somebody out there listening has got more answers than we do. Um, and surely we couldn't have Googled it before we started. I just I, my knowledge of Catholicism is like do three Hail Marys and you're saved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? Well, those are for the small ones where it's just like, I was mean to my mom and I took the Lord's name in vain. I ate the like, cheese I wasn't supposed to. Like, oh boy, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, no, you better say your prayers otherwise you're going to hell forever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like that's the idea is that, that there's a promise that she could maybe, possibly, if God would would just look on her with forgiveness, let allow her into the gates of heaven at the end of the movie, mm. or at the end of her life, not the end of the movie. <laughs> now, now, now about Ava Gardner. This is all that I was kind of leading to there. At the end of the movie, we don't necessarily. It doesn't say sixty years later, but like we sort of flash forward a little bit. The apartment's been remodeled. The apartment's been remodeled. Sister Teresa is up in the up in the top window, clutching a fucking cross. Her eyes all white as a ghost. I uh, love that. Creepy eyes come with the job. It's the best. <laughs> and Ava Gardner's back, seemingly not having aged a day, showing the apartment to some new prospects. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to me that the the demons, that the devil and the bad side are the people that bring the sentinel to the apartment. Maybe it's like so they, they can get a little ahead of the the sentinel dying. Oh, you, th- you figured that the church already knows who the next sentinel is? Yeah. How do they figure... The well, Jewish- they already had the fucking document written on Allison and her death disappearing day. Like- no, they, they could have made that after they got somebody into the house, though. You're, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think the church has already... I don't know gotten some message and, from God. And I think the demons are just trying to get their hooks in a little early. Like, if we can get her in before mm-hmm. Halloran kicks the bucket, maybe we can convince her that cat birthday parties are cool. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> their most effective 
moment of trying to get her to commit suicide is when she sees her dead father. It is such... It is the an, best scare of the oh movie. Oh my God. So fucking good. One of the best scares we've seen in a long time. You yeah. Know? She's investigating the upper apartment because every night when she's like, you know, in sleep, in sleep mode, there's fucking stomping upstairs mm. and the, the chandeliers are rocking. They're going crazy. And, and her, brave as can be, goes upstairs with a flashlight and investigating the upstairs apartment. We've already, like, the key to this is that Ava Gardner has shown us a lot of the rest of the building, and we know that this apartment is empty. So the stomping makes no sense, is is, is all I'm really getting at. Uh, there shouldn't be anybody up there. Uh, it's gated enough that there's probably not somebody squatting up there, and it's driving her nuts, so she's she wants to see what the fuck's going on. I think maybe in the back of her head she assumes that maybe it has something to do with Halloran upstairs, like way, way upstairs. Because, like, he's just a mysterious figure. And, well, there's also just, you know, like, she's seeing things that aren't there. We we know at the, this point that the neighbors she saw aren't real, right? No, she just, I don't think we know that they're not real. It's just that she never really runs into them ever. Mm. Like, everybody's quiet. Some This person's, like, a concert celloist. Uh, you know, like they, they, oh, they play for the New York Symphony Orchestra. Like it's, it, there are two lesbians downstairs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, who gave me total, um, Lords of Salem vibes. There, there was a moment halfway through this movie where we thought, if we're going to do this for the podcast, maybe that's the right choice. And I still think would have been a good pairing, but it's not a hundred percent the same mm-hmm. type of movie. Like they, I mean, it'd be great on a double bill, but wouldn't play as well as uh, next week's episode, I don't think. But this scare sequence, and this is maybe also what sort of solidified for me that we're we're doing a Fulci movie <laughs> with this one, because the scare in this is truly nightmarish. She goes into, it's, it, man, it's so hard to describe on a podcast, but like she goes into an empty room, and it's just like the mood and the atmosphere of everything is really creepy. The score is great. And then, you know, like a door closes slowly to reveal this like haunting shadow standing beside her. And he's skinny and frail, and we only see the silhouette of him at first, and it's just, it's such a creepy image that you're not expecting, and then it walks towards the camera. Yeah, it's all up in your face, and she obviously goes to see him because he just looks like like a scared old man that's then wandering around honestly i was so scared i didn't realize it was her father until like after the scene was over i was just like this is terrifying what the fuck is happening well because yeah when she gets close to him he turns around it's very clearly her father unless of course you're super scared uh and (laughs) yeah but he was like rotting and he also had creepy eyes yeah right gotta love them creepy eyes gotta love it when dad's rot Uh, (laughs) um and I don't even know if she necessarily recognizes immediately that's that it's her dad, but she goes nuts. Uh, he tries to attack her. She starts stabbing him. She stabs him in the arm and the chest, and he's bleeding all over her. She cuts off his fucking nose. She puts, runs a gash through his eyes. Uh, it looks great. It, it does look great. Yeah, it's old school practical effects, but it it hits on a it hits a it hits a nerve, right? Yeah. The most interesting thing though is so she runs out of the apartment. She's obviously like high strung, terrified. Neighbors are running to her. She's covered in blood. Mm-hmm. So the blood at least is real. real. Yeah. She goes to the hospital, you know, the detectives get involved because she's kind of been screaming that she's stabbed someone. Mm-hmm. She and says she says that she stabbed her father. Yeah. Like, I stabbed my dead father. Yeah. <laughs> she says it a lot in this movie. And you're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe keep that one to yourself. Yeah. But she does have blood in her. They test the blood. It's O negative. Yeah. And I think that is her blood type. So yes. they're like, she's just. She probably just. She's just so. cuckoo bananas. Yeah. Yeah. The cops in this are great. Because one, 
the, I, I don't know, junior detective is Christopher Walken with like slicked back hair and evil eyeballs. He looks so cool. He does. Look I very would cool. not trust him. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Like, that's the problem, too, is that at some point you figured that the cops are going to be evil. Uh, and the cops are kind of a small role. Like, they're only to kind of provide us the information that the people she's claimed, the neighbors she's claimed to have met, mm-hmm. are murderers. And we get to see their mug shots, and it's all fun and, and and creepy. They're also there to sort of like cast doubt and suspicion on um, Michael, on Michael, on Chris Chris Rannon's character, because Detective Gatz, who's played by Eli Wallach, who's the ugly from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, is very hung up. I think he was the detective that was investigating uh, his wife's suicide. Oh, see, I always just assumed he was like a PI or something. Like he was, he worked for Michael. As much as they're in the movie, like, just sort of relaying information to us, not even necessarily to other characters in the movie, like, a little bit to Allison. There is a moment where they come to talk to Allison about what the fuck's going on, and really they're just kind of there to uh, ruffle the feathers of Michael, because they're pretty confident that he got away with murder, and they just, any opportunity they can to sort of give him you know, a kick in the shins, they're going to do it. Yeah, well, and also after his wife died, Allison had her second suicide attempt. Yes. So I think the detectives kind of know that she is in a frail state now. Mm. She was in a frail state then. This might be an opportune time to get that information from her. To testify. Like, Mm. maybe she feels guilt over having helped with this murder plot. Exactly. But it seems like she doesn't know anything about it. We do find out at the end of the movie, Michael does reveal that he did, in fact... Uh, set up the murder of his wife. Which is a nice twist because it turns out that Michael was really trying to help Allison. Yeah. the whole Throughout the whole movie, throughout a chunk of the movie, you're not sure if he's part of the problem. Like, he might be pushing her toward uh, whatever this mysterious evil presence is, but he is actually on her side he's the whole time. He's genuinely helping, not Houdiniing at all. No. Like that, <laughs> and that's that's the stuff. It's just like, I, I, I really do think that all of the Houdini magic stuff was just maybe to get us to think that he had ulterior motives and that it's, you know, like what one hand is doing when you're watching the other hand, you know, kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but no, it's... And, like, I don't know if it's a perfect uh, misdirection on the movie's part, but it worked enough that we really didn't trust him until we realized that he was a good guy, and then, bam, he's dead. Yeah. Like, we're like, oh, shit, he's he's actually, like, sticking his neck out here. He's doing everything he can to save her and to keep her around friends and to, like, hey, I need you to watch her tonight specifically because I found a document that says that she's going to disappear tonight and I've got to go solve this problem. i got to go fight the devil for her, I guess, is maybe what he's thinking. Yeah, and it's, it becomes so complex because he is a sinner, because he had his wife murdered. Uh-huh. The second he's mur- he's killed in the... Sen- in is Can the Sentinel also be the location? No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the second he's murdered in the gates of hell house. <laughs> yeah, sure. He immediately goes to the demon side. Yeah, because he's in hell. And he's so he becomes this cool suave uh I'm a bad guy but cool about it. It's weird to me that they actually killed him because oh no sorry, he they didn't kill him. There's he break he barges his way into Father Halloran's room. And I think he thinks that the if he can stop the church he can save her but it's more important that the church remain 
in control of the gates of hell. So while he's strangling Father Halloran, the archdiocese sneaks up on him. And like whacks him over the head with a lamp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, they, they murder him in order to like stop the demons from uh, winning. It's interesting too, because we're kind of with him at this point. We think that what the church is doing is something shady and evil. Yeah. We think the church is up to something no good. And, and our alliance kind of switches yeah. in that finale. It's good. Yeah, it is really interesting. Because it is revealed that they are ultimately the good guys. Like, they did, we did have to murder your There wife. are some Fuck. questionable things. Like, we are stealing a woman's life. Uh, we did kill a guy, but he killed somebody else. Like, there's some there's some questionable things all around. When she Everything's get, a gray area. When she gets to the house, though, he's like, oh, hey, happy to see you. It's me, Michael. I'm definitely not dead. <laughs> like, and so Don't look at the right side of my face. <laughs> yeah, because it's all bashed the fuck in. And that's how he reveals, like, once she discovers that he is dead and he he is a demon. He's sort of like a uh, apparition of his former self. That's he. He sort of lets go that, like you know, I went to hell because I murdered my wife. So now I'm playing for the bad side, <laughs> which is a bummer. And that's where we also meet Burgess Meredith again, and all of the residents of the house, and we're all terrorizing Allison, hoping that we can, it's their last ditch effort to try and get her to kill herself before she can, I guess, make her way up to the top floor. And this is also where the movie does a very weird thing. <laughs> what does it do? This is where we get an entire horde of people, of, of other demons that have just sort of like escaped onto Earth to try and torment and terrorize Allison and push her over the edge. And this is where we just get like a hundred people with natural deformities in a weird parade. Yeah, and they're definitely not actors because there's like a lot of looking at the camera and stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, eh, we could have just cast more Beverly D'Angelo's, but... <laughs> we could have, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird choice. I definitely don't think anybody would necessarily do it today. I think they're kind of going for the Gates of Hell image, you know, like that classic image of like all of the bodies writhing. Mm-hmm. But if they're they're going to have these, like, affluent murderers, they should have just kept it that way. I guess they didn't want to go for the full traditional, like, horns and um, demonic look, which I was kind of hoping for. Yeah, but, I was kind of hoping for that, too. But I, I understand. <laughs> but a lot like uh, Exorcist movies, it kind of comes down to just, like, the power of faith kind of conquering everything. Uh, like, Father Halloran has to make his way through this horde in order to save Allison, holding a cross, not letting anybody stop him along the way. And once he reaches there, once he reaches the finish line where she is, then everything's cool. She grabs the cross, everything's great. Yeah. Uh, how they they depict the demons sinking back into hell, though, is very cool. They they cut back and forth to the doorway where they, the horde was, mm -hmm. and every time they cut back, there's just less of the horde there. Mm -hmm. It's like they're sinking down the stairs, but they're just disappearing. It's yeah. very cool. I know. It's the last sort of, like, nightmarish image we get. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of, like... <sighs> Like we're seeing what it feels like, not necessarily what's actually happening. Because if we were if we were to see like what's actually happening in the moment, it's probably just like one crazy girl and an old guy with a cross walking slowly toward each other, you know? Well, because we are confirmed, and this is something I wanted to mention earlier because I, I really liked it about the film, and it was another big surprise for me that like, oh shit, Michael's on her side, yeah. is that she's seeing things that other people can't see. Oh my god, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, so at one point, Michael goes with her to investigate these empty apartments because turns out he is actually helping her. He's a good dude. Yeah. Uh, apart from killing his wife. He's uh, a good dude in this moment. 
And she's just like looking, she's like, this stuff is different. This table was here. This was here. And she starts looking at books and she's like, look, all these books are fake. They all say the same thing. Which we were just like, ah, you mean like books that a magician would have? I know. We were just like, they're Mm -hmm. trick books because Michael rented out all these apartments because he's Houdini. But in the scenario, she's like, look at all these books. They all say the exact same thing. And it's all like Latin or something. And he's, and he, we haven't seen the book yet. And he's just like, what are you talking about? All of these pages are different. You're being crazy. Yeah, and we see it. It's a real book. Well, so, but there was a moment there where you're just like, is he, I think he's gaslighting her, right? So it's just like, it's adding fuel to the fire for like, oh, Michael's not a great guy. Like he's doing something to push her over to the edge to get her close to insanity to maybe try killing herself again. There's no real motive for or him like to do that. Or like he's sick of her. Maybe he wants her to, to he's going to scare worried. her into killing herself yeah. or he's just going to kill her but he could be worried that publicly she knows make about her the look murder. cuckoo bananas so yeah. that he can get away with her murder. Exactly. Something shady we think. But 30 seconds later we see that he, he opens the book so we can see the book and he gets her to write down what she is seeing and every single book is exactly the same and she's basically just writing and passages from uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. The great story of good versus evil, which is rad. Like it looks so cool. Yeah. Because we are we are looking at real words and then we're seeing her write the Latin and And it's, it's frustrating to her because every single book says the exact same thing. It's cool. And then that's where we were revealed that Michael's actually kind of on her side because That's where he does the detective he, work, yeah. He immediately is like, I'm gonna get this shit translated. And you're like, wow, you just believe her? You're not be like you're writing crazy weird letters yeah um, yeah he doesn't immediately try and put her in an institution he's just like gotta get to the bottom gotta of this. figure out what she's yeah. reading gonna roll up our <laughs> sleeves because <laughs> he believes that she's seeing what she's seeing yeah like outside of the fact that he kills his wife previously before this movie he's a good dude so uh, <laughs> I mean maybe he would have killed her later on I, I mean no if you idea. have the potential to kill your wife I think you always have the potential to kill your wife and maybe aren't necessarily always a good person but sure he hasn't commit the the eternal sin yet okay uh, but in terms of her being able to see things that aren't there how the ending looks could be a her perspective thing so yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a really great point that you made yeah, and it's just, like, tr- the true nightmarish nature of how the horror is presented. I think that's, like, the biggest selling feature for this movie, especially. I mean, like, th- th- don't get me wrong. You you like exorcist movies, but you don't want, like, uh, you don't want to watch the same exorcism over and over again. This would be a great pick. This is great because it's got the biblical stuff in the fringes, but it's more of a mystery. We yeah. are following this kind of disjointed, scary, nightmarish plot, and we don't know what all these pieces are adding up to. We and- don't know what the missing neighbors are we don't know what these weird books that are latin are we don't know what the priest is doing upstairs who's always sitting at the window there's just this weird disjointed mystery Mm -hmm. and it's really compelling and you come at it from a lot of angles like we've got the the woman who's experiencing it herself who's trying to find some answers we've got her boyfriend who's like really doing the detective work we've got actual detectives who are kind of not a hundred percent investigating what she's going through but they are trying to get to the bottom of some of it uh and, and then you, you know you've got you've got the church you've got a whole bunch of other people but like we come at this from a lot of different angles um which makes it feel like a chessboard right like we've got all these pieces that are converging like it's a game it's bigger than something you understand like you can only see the small pieces but you can't see the whole board kind of thing like the classic good versus evil story because it sounds like it's also 60 years in the making like it's a lifetime in the making that leads to this moment and like this is the one crucial moment where the devil could possibly win it's not so much that 
once in the history of life there's a time where the devil can take over the earth it's once in a light once every lifetime he has the opportunity to flip the table uh and to take power right it's fun it's uh i i don't always love religious horror movies but yeah because this sort of presents itself as maybe more of a mystery. I think that's like the the unlock code for me in order to like really fall into this. But yeah, the nightmare sequences are A+. Plus. Yeah. And, and well, I like think... the the horror sequences, like they feel like nightmares. They aren't nightmare sequences, but they they're A+. Plus. And I think too the the ambiguity on like good versus evil, everything ends up being kind of a shade of gray. Yeah. Like Michael ends up being a shade of gray. What he was doing for Allison was noble, but he did kill his wife. Mm-hmm. And like what the church is doing is keeping the gates of hell closed, but they are sacrificing a human being essentially against their will for the majority of the time. I that's a... I, that's why I said for the majority of the time. Yeah. They ultimately have to relent, but... They do give her... The, the, I, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how much they are scared of their etern- for their eternal soul, because they are presenting this as, like, this is how we can save you. Like, we can't do this, <laughs> we can't do this for everybody, but for one person every 60 years, we can reverse the curse that you have on your damnation, right? Because mm. otherwise, even if you'd lived another 60 years and you were the nicest person in the world, you'd still go to hell. Similar to Chris Sarandon. He's done one bad thing, and he can go the rest of his life being a good guy, but that's like the one big black mark on him. I'm sure if he repented, maybe that'd be a different story. But Yeah, he didn't do his Hail Marys. No. So yeah, this was a fun watch. I want to thank you very much for bringing this one to the table. On, honestly, like I had read about it and I, I included it in one of the lists on, on our website a few, like a few months ago. And I've been thinking about it since. And I was like, we got to fucking watch this movie. And initially I was like, we should do it for the podcast. And then you were like, Kim, you don't know what you're doing. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually how it goes. Yeah. And here we are. Uh, I had a fucking blast. So I'm going to give this a three and a half out of four. Yeah, three and a half. I, I definitely think you liked this movie more than I did. I really liked it. Oh, but Beverly D'Angelo scared me. <laughs> well, that's because you know her as, like, mom. You yeah, know? I like was... Like, in all the National Lampoon movies. Ooh. <laughs> She's It wild. gave me the shivers. <laughs> I'm going to give the Sentinel a three out of four. This was, this was a good watch. But, yeah. Uh, it, you really liked it. I fucking dug it. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. But that's just our opinion, guys. Let us know what you thought of the Sentinel. Have you seen this... Uh, hidden religious horror gem. Is this a movie that's been on your watch list forever? It's also a great piece of 1970s New York cinema. If you want to, if you're into those kind of movies, John loves old New York. Fucking love it, baby. I mean, we don't go. But to doesn't the- like when it's the gates of hell. Like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just bored of the church. <laughs> uh, let us know what you thought of this in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com/slash/discord. That's where you can chat with all your fellow fiends about horror movies, what you're watching, uh, find some fun recommendations also just check out some fun horror themed memes we got a whole channel just for that And if you want even more Nightmare on Film Street and want to support the show, consider joining the Fiend Club on Patreon at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub or patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. We'll be back again next week with another Gates of Hell horror movie. This is a faulty one, and that which pretty much narrows it down to one of 30 movies. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, it'd take a while, guess which that one's going to be. I'm sure you can figure it out. But until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. <laughs>
Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Thank <laughs> you.